0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Am
1: I being rude? She's in deep, maybe half a bowl. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Hacking Humans Podcast, an occasional series we call Hacking Humans Goes to the Movies. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is my Cyberwire colleague, Rick Howard. Hey, Rick. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Going good, going good. On this show, Rick and I look at some of our favorite clips from cinema and television, clips which demonstrate some of the scams and schemes Joe Kerrigan and I talk about over on the Hacking Humans podcast. We've got some fun clips to share, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message from our show sponsor. All right, Rick. Um... We got some good clips to share this week. And I have to say, I always look forward to uh, this recording session with you because uh, I never know what you're going to choose. You never know what I'm going to choose. So far, we haven't both chosen the same thing. So that's goodness. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always fun to talk about these things with you. And uh, I'm going to start things off for us. My clip this week comes from the movie Oceans 8. Are you familiar with this one?
0: I am, and I love the Oceans movies, probably not as much as you do, but I, I just love the, the scheming of it all. So I'm so glad yeah. you picked this clip. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's just, you know, I, it, you can't go wrong with a good heist movie. Um, although I will say that I want to say maybe Oceans 12 did go wrong with a good heist <laughs> movie. But they, they redeemed right. themselves with Oceans 13. And uh, so this is Oceans 8, which was... Mm, I don't think you call it a reboot, but uh, uh, an interesting spin on the whole ocean's theme. So this is a 2018 film. This is directed by Gary Ross. Uh, lots of stars in this film. We got Sandra That's what Bullock. I love
0: about this, Dave. That, it, it's yeah. just the star power that... It's just the amount of wattage that comes across the screen, even in just the scene that we're going to do here. It's like, oh, yeah. my goodness. It's, oh, my... That's her. Oh, that's her. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. And I think when you're doing a movie like this and you have... Uh, so much reputation of these being fun movies to be a part of. Uh, it's easy to get big stars to do either um you know little little parts or mm-hmm. you know just to get them to 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 play a part, and yes. that's what they've done here. So yeah. we've got the stars Sandra Bullock. Uh, she actually plays Debbie Ocean, the sister of Danny Ocean from the other Ocean's films, who was of George course, Clooney's uh, sister. George Let's Clooney. just be clear. Yeah, yeah. So Sandra Bullock and, and George Clooney siblings. I, I can buy that. I can buy that, yeah. They must have had very, very handsome parents. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly did. <laughs> yeah. So we got Sandra Bullock, we got Kate Blanchett, Ann Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, Aquafina, Rihanna, Rihanna Helen, geez. Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, this is just, you know, this is a, a list of. Uh, you know, women I admire who would never date me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't even look in our direction. No, no, not even close, not even close. Um, So Sandra Bullock plays Debbie Ocean, sister of Danny Ocean, and she is fresh out of prison on parole. So I guess the scheming and thieving is a family thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this film, she hatches a scheme to steal a $150 million Cartier necklace that's being worn by a famous film star who's played by Anne Hathaway, who, spoiler, is a famous film star. Uh-huh. Um, and so Anne Hathaway's character... So you're saying uh, was, it wasn't much of a stretch? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I don't think she was... <laughs> no. What, what's funny is that uh, she's kind of a difficult film star in this, yeah, and I don't, yeah. I don't think that's Anne Hathaway in real life. But uh, <laughs> she plays a film star named Daphne... And so she's going to be wearing this very fancy necklace at the Met Gala, which is the big event, big fundraiser uh, in New York City. And, you know, everyone who's everyone is there at the Met Gala. So the scene I'm using today is the actual heist of this necklace. This is the big scene. It begins in the kitchen at the Met Gala where Kate Blanchett is disguised as a chef. And we will start the scene there.
0: We need a gluten-free and a broiled fish for table eight.
1: So Kate Blanchett is the What's chef here in the kitchen. She walks over to a table full of salads and soups that have to, ready to go out to some of the customers. She reaches into her pocket and pulls out a small bottle and she squirts a couple of drops of some liquid, dark liquid, into this bowl of soup, this uh, light-colored soup. What kind of soup do you think this probably is, Rick? Oh, I don't know, but it looks good, whatever it is. It does yeah. look good. So the waiter <laughs> takes the soup over to Anne Hathaway's table. She is very happy to see this bowl of soup. It looks like she's quite hungry. She scoops out a big spoonful and
0: Mm-mm-mm. you
1: can tell she's enjoying it. And uh, grabs Hela. the glop of stuff that was put in there by Kate yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So she is just uh, devouring this bowl of soup.
0: Mm. Am I being rude? She's in deep.
1: Maybe half a bowl. That's so Sarah, Sarah Paulson, Paulson yeah, is playing uh, like a worker. Uh, meanwhile, Aquafina goes in the ladies' room. She goes in a stall, closes the door, crawls under the stall to the stall next to it, closes the door of that stall, locks it, crawls on the floor to the stall next to that door and locks it. So she's just going down the line, making these stalls unavailable. And we're back in the restaurant. That's true. So anyway, I go in. I'm doing this like little knee bend. Queen glares at me and says, "That's not a curtsy.
0: Really?
1: (laughs) So now I am in a curtsy standoff with the Queen of England, and so are you
0: okay? Yeah, I'm fine.
1: A little tummy trouble.
0: No, I'm fine. So I'm in (laughs) a curtsy standoff. I love Anne Hathaway. She's so good.
1: (laughs) She really is. (laughs) She really is. is. she is having some gastrointestinal urgency, and she gets uh, yeah. up from
0: the table. That's a nice and, way to say it. Yeah, yeah
1: heads <laughs> towards the ladies' room. And we see Sandra Bullock's character uh, also on the way to the ladies' room, keeping an eye on Anne Hathaway's character. Uh, Sandra Bullock beats her there, is waiting outside the entrance to the ladies' room. And we see Anne Hathaway come by and run into the ladies' room, tries to open the door. Tries to open the door, tries to open the door, finally finds a booth that's available, a stall, and we heaves die. her guts into the toilet. Sandra Bullock keeps the security guards who are there to guard the necklace from going into the ladies' room because it's the ladies' room. So they're waiting outside. She calls them swine. I love it. <laughs> So Aquafina comes back in to the ladies' room, finds Anne Hathaway there embracing the toilet, uh, puking her guts out. She pretends to be helping her, you know, holding her hair, and she disconnects the necklace. And Anne Hathaway doesn't notice because she's preoccupied with yeah, throwing her guts up, yep. <laughs> turning herself inside out. Meanwhile, Sarah Paulson uh, asks one of the waiters to take a bunch of dishes from the ballroom back into the kitchen, dirty dishes, and he has to go by the ladies' restroom on his way to do that. Sandra Bullock distracts him, slows him down, and while he's distracted, Aquafina comes out and slides the necklace underneath of one of the plates on this tray that he's carrying right under the noses of the security guards. The uh, waiter comes into the kitchen where they're washing dishes, and he finds Mindy Kaling, who is there working as a dishwasher. She says, I'll take that tray. She takes the stack of dishes that has the necklace, dunks it underwater. We see under the water into the dishwashing station. She takes the necklace out, sees what she's got, rinses it off,
0: puts it in her pocket. That was a nice shot of the camera going in the water, okay? Now that I think about it, that was pretty good. They were pretty clever. So, Mindy Kaling announces she's going to take a bathroom
1: break. She goes into the ladies' room, closes and locks the door, sits down on the toilet, opens up the baby changing station, which has been outfitted to be a workstation to work on jewelry. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Like a jeweler's workstation. Right? (laughs) And she looks over her left shoulder where the dispenser is for the ladies' toiletries. She opens that up, and that is full of jeweler's tools. And she starts disassembling uh, the necklace to pull the the valuable diamond out of the necklace. So correct, you know. correct. And in, in the movie, they're going to swap in for the valuable diamond. They're going to swap in, you know, basically a piece of glass. Uh, to so when the necklace gets found, that you know people will be thrown off the trail for a while. So that is the scene. And let's unpack it here, Rick.
0: What, what sort of elements are we seeing in play here? Well, the first thing, what I love about all these kind of heist movies is the reason I love to watch them, and, you know, we've covered a bunch of them on this show, is that there are, I don't know, what, maybe 40 things that have to go exactly right <laughs> for right. that to be successful, and they always go without a hitch, and I, I don't know what about that is that says about me, but I love that I get to watch that, knowing that, you know, normal people would never be able to make that happen. Right.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I think that adds to the tension while you're watching the film, knowing that everything has to go right. And also, for me, I'm always wondering, how are they going to pull this off? How are they going to pull this
0: off? Right, um, and it's just clever, right? All the little yeah. things that they do, right? Uh, one of the things that wasn't obvious from the clip was they had they had staked out the area the restaurant before and knew where all the security cameras were, and mm-hmm. they knew where to stand. All of the actresses that had a like a two-second bid in this or out of camera range, right? And so, uh, so that when some policeman looks at the tape later, they're not going to see any of the crew that was in there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, uh, Joe and I often talk about how one of the ways that folks uh, who are trying to pull off scams get away with it is they get people into an emotional state, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're not, they're not uh, in their right mind. They don't have full control of their senses and I would say uh, uncontrolled vomiting
0: has <laughs> got to be one of Yeah, that makes you instinctively look away, right? You don't want to watch right. somebody doing it. And just you know, you, you don't want to embarrass them. So you you're not even gonna look what she's doing, right? So right. yeah. So I she's totally- so she's gonna get her privacy, mm-hmm. right? i bet you that lady's
1: room cleared out when sure. she went in there and and was throwing up. But also She's not keeping track of herself anymore. You know, she's embarrassed probably from being there. She, it, it's the worst feeling in the world to not be in control of yourself that way, to be in a public place, a semi, you know, a pub, you're not at home, right? Yeah. Uh, heaving your guts out. And so the last thing she's thinking about is this necklace. She probably, you know, had no idea that the necklace was taken off of her.
0: Well, I mean, as this famous actress, too, she's presenting uh, uh, how classy she is. She's, you know, dressed to the nines, right? And now Mm -hmm. she has to run to the bathroom. She's totally embarrassed about this, right? So, yeah, it's all that. And the other thing that pops up in all these things, Dave, is all the misdirection, right? Because you're not going to look at her because she's throwing up. uh, When Sandra Bullock spins the waiter around so that he's not paying attention when Aquafina puts the diamond necklace on his tray. I mean, I just... It's just uh, sequence after sequence where they, you know, it's uh, like magic show watching this happen.
1: Right, and part of what's going on here, too, that is so clever is that they're doing all of this knowing that they are being seen by all of the security cameras. So all of the players in this are deliberately in places where they can be seen, and yet they are manipulating the other people in the scene to basically be their mule (laughs) to move this necklace from one location to the other.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. so clever. All right. It's so clever. I, I love to be in the writing room when those guys are saying, okay, here's what we got to do next to solve this right. intractable problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I always wonder, like, what what's the point where they say, yeah, that's too far? Like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No one's going to uh, believe that. Yeah. That's not right. the point. That
0: is not the point that's of these things true.
1: at all. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think you and I probably have that in in common, that we are willing suspenders of disbelief. (laughs) I want them. Yeah, I want them to go for it.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) Right. I am going along for the ride. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, that is my clip this week. Again, that is from Oceans 8. Uh, It is the stealing the necklace scene. We'll have a link to the YouTube clip for that if you want to watch it or watch along while we describe it. That's fun, too. Uh,
0: Rick, what do you have for us? Yeah, so my clip is a little different this week. It comes from the 2019 movie Avengers Endgame. It's the conclusion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a 22-film run between 2008 and 2019, starring Robert Downey Jr., that char- charismatic actor who almost single-handedly jump-started the MCU back in 2008 when he... Right. Yeah, when he portrayed Tony Stark, right, in the original Iron Man movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, this scene also has a young actress, Lexi Robbie. I think it's how you say her name. Her, uh, she plays Stark's little daughter, Morgan. And at this point in the MCU story, it's five years after the villain Thanos snapped his Infinity Gauntlet fingers and disappeared about half the people in the universe, right. referred to as in the MCU as the blip. Right? And so, so Danny's in his kitchen in his cabin in the woods and mourning his friends who died in the blip, but especially Peter Parker, AKA Spider-Man, his colleagues at Avengers headquarters are experimenting with time travel to go back and undo the snap, but they're failing at it. And at that moment, uh, he gets an inspiration. So he goes into his lab. He tells his computer AI assistant Friday, which by the way, Dave, I don't know if you know this, it stands for, Female Replacement Intelligence Digital Assistant Youth. Now that's a mouthful. Okay. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> All right. right. And he's going to perform a test. Now he's looking and manipulating a model in three-dimensional space and telling Friday to uh, adjust some of the parameters. So let's start the clip there. Got a mod inspiration. Let's see if it checks out. So
1: I can like run one last sim before we pack it in for the night. This time in the shape of a Möbius strip, inverted, please. Processing. Give me the eigenvalue of that particle factoring in spectral decomp. That'll take a second. Just a moment. And don't worry if it doesn't pan out, I'm just kind of... Model
0: rendered. done it miss yeah nope we don't say that only Mama. that's morgan in the background she coined it it belongs to her why are you up because i got some important shit going on here what do you think
1: no i got i got some on my mind i got i got some on my (laughs) mind
0: was it juice pops
1: sure was (laughs) that's extortion that's a word well penny one great minds think alike juice pops exactly was
0: on my mind Mm -hmm. You done? So we can stop it there, Dave. Yeah. As Tony walks out of the lab with Morgan, you know, seeking the extortionist payment of juice pops, right? Uh Tony looks back at the 3D model as if to confirm that he just figured out time travel, right? And yeah. I love this scene. So what do you think, Dave? Well, I love this
1: scene too. And... uh As you say, um, Robert Downey Jr. is uh, incredibly charismatic on screen. He has just uh, the amount of swagger um, that you could buy that he is Tony Stark. Yeah. And uh, the combination of, as I say, swagger but also intelligence. And he he pulls it off. And I don't think every actor could do that. No. no. And you're right. It really did launch—I mean, how many people— were really into Iron Man when the first Iron Man movie came out.
0: I can't know. Zero, right? Me and you, right. maybe. Okay, but. Yeah, it was a side character.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, now we all know and and love Iron Man from, from the MCU. So, um, a couple things strike me about this scene. First of all, uh, in the future, we will all be manipulating objects in 3D space, 3D space. with our computers. <laughs> 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 like, that trope just... Goes can't go away. And yeah. also, uh, all screens will be transparent. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right? Which <laughs> also makes no sense to me because it's yeah. harder to read things when you it's can clear. see what's behind them. <laughs> but that's just—that's that. That's how you tell some things in the future. It used to be that it was flat screens, and then we got flat screens, so yeah. that wasn't futuristic no, enough. No, not so at all. Yeah. It has to be in 3D space, and it has to be clear. So we'll, we'll just go with that because if anyone could do it, it would be Tony— Um, it's interesting to me that he goes into this thinking that the computer is probably not going to be able to figure this out and yet the computer comes up with it pretty quickly and he seems flabbergasted that the computer
0: figured this out so quickly and that it worked. Yeah, all right. And and so what's amazing about that is it kind of fits right into what we're talking about today, Dave, and with all the chat GTP stuff going on. And um, the reason I chose this clip is that you and I were yakking in the Slack channels as we do. Apparently, that's all we do for work is yak at Slack (laughs) channels, right? <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> and we were talking about an essay written by Dana Boyd over at the Zephoria blog and she was complaining that with the advent of ChatGPT and other machine learning models many in the developer community were kind of panicking about what they perceive as a near-term existential crisis when the AI models would eliminate all of their jobs and Dana suggests that they were thinking about that advancement all wrong instead of machine learning models replacing developers, they are much more likely to augment them, you know, freeing (laughs) the developer from those mundane tasks of syntax and logic errors that exist in today's popular programming languages. And and that's why I chose this clip. Hmm. And it's hard to tell from just the audio, but Tony Stark never touches a keyboard, as you were describing, to solve the problem of time travel. You know, he just told Friday to do it for him. He had to understand things like, you know, what's an inverted Mobius strip and an eigenvalue Mm -hmm. and spectral decomp, whatever the hell all that is. I have no idea, okay? (laughs) That's called technobabble, right? (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't have to remember to put the semicolon after the if-then-else clause, you know? That's the point here. And what I'm suggesting is that these new machine learning models are just the next level in programming abstraction. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, computers... uh, forever we've been making them easier to use has always been about abstracting the details away from the user. And you can make an argument that Ada Lovelace was the first programmer to use machine language back in the 1800s, but it was really hard to do. And to make it easier, we started using assembly language as an abstraction in the late 1940s, which makes programming more like writing in English. And then the next abstraction we probably got was the Flowmatic programming language that's the precursor to COBOL developed by Grace Hopper, one of my computer science heroes, by the way. And she did that in the 1950s. And then yeah. for the next 70 years, the developer community has been using variations of the Flowmatic COBOL theme with languages like JavaScript, Python, and C++. GTP is just the next evolutionary leap in the programming of computers. It's the next abstraction level, making it easier to develop code, just like Tony Stark did in this clip.
1: You know, in the essay um, by Dana Boyd, she mentions a a concept called de-skilling the job. Yep. And the example she uses as an illustration is uh, the modern-day commercial airline pilot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of these folks get their initial flying training in the military, and then after retirement, they join a commercial airline. But aircraft evolution in the commercial space is so advanced that we've got these highly trained military fighter pilots they don't really fly the commercial airliner anymore right. so much as they monitor the machines and software programs that, ply the, that fly the planes for them. Right, right. Right. And Boyd's worry is that as time progresses, these pilots are going to get—these the uh, these airliners are going to get more and more complicated, and the pilots won't know how to fly them at all. They'll be dependent on the machine, and when something bad happens in flight, they won't be able to grab the controls and save the day— Like, you know, like Sully did. Remember Sully when he landed his plane in the Hudson River in 2009, and she uses that example. So isn't that the same problem that developers are going to experience in the near future? At some point, they're going to become so dependent on the machine learning tool, that Tony Stark kind of Friday AI assistant, (laughs) that when it fails and gets something wrong, they won't be able to grab the controls and do the programming themselves. They, They won't know how
0: this works anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I get that. I, I understand the trepidation there, but l- let me point out that today, without ChatGP, okay, when programmers run into a program they can't solve, most of the times their first inclination is not to abandon their project in Python and say, you know, I bet if I built this in assembly language, it would be easier. Okay. Mm. Nobody does that. Okay. The, so uh, this is just progress. This is the beginning of the next evolution of programming. And once we get established there, I don't think we're ever going back. It's just going to be the way we do it in the future. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't I can't disagree with you. I, I guess I—on
1: the one hand, I agree that I think we are at a bit of an inflection point here with things like ChatGPT and how—and mm-hmm. how, I think these are early days. Early days, yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows what uh, it's going to turn into, yeah. Right. Like, we're like, you know, this is like— um, you know macintosh GUI interface 1.0 <laughs> yeah. right and it seems a magical and amazing but who knows where it's going to go from here um at the same and so at the same time that's that's a little
0: scary right well i think that's what everybody's you know afraid of that we all of our jobs are going to be gone but you know the human race has done this over and over and over again, as it progresses through technology and evolution, and so yes, there's going to be some pain as we learn how to do it in different ways. But I, I don't think it, I don't think it's an existential crisis. We're going to be so much better at programming. If I could look at a 3D model and get my you know my CS 101 uh, computer program to work, that would have been a lot easier. I think. Right. So I, I'm on I'm on all board. I'm on board for that. Well, <laughs> but going back to the Tony Stark
1: clip, I mean. His relationship is such with this AI, with Friday, mm-hmm. that he trusts it. Sure. He does, there's no checking its work. There are no footnotes. The, <laughs> the, AI, the AI doesn't say, here's the answer and here's how I know it is correct. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a ways
0: off. I don't know if that's that far off, Dave. I, I hear people complain, and I'm one of the ones that's complained about it, right, too. Uh, you know, yeah. was um, sometimes the, the interface will give you not just the wrong answer, okay, but a made-up answer, right? right. Instead of saying, I don't know, it says, well, here's a completely thing I just falsified right here, right? I think that's just, we're going to figure that out. That's a, techno- that's a technical problem with the models that those people will figure out. I think that's a smaller problem. Okay. Okay. Uh, the the uh, the bigger problem is is going to be, it's what all the big guys talk about. You know, when there's the singularity, yeah. when these things can operate on their own, okay, without any supervision. Okay, that's what that's what some of the super uh, brainiac geniuses are worried about. That's right. the existential crisis for the human race, and I think right. those are two separate problems. Well, when we hose them up to actual physical systems, right? Well, yeah, controlling. Yeah, they're already talking about how some of these systems can uh, just plug into other uh, other like GPT models. If, like this one does uh, Wikipedia searches. This other one does airline searches. This other one does medical research. And they're already talking about within a few years, that's, that's just going to be automatic for these kinds of systems. And uh, that's a scary amount of capability in one little piece of software. Yeah, yeah. All right, well... Hold on to the bar,
1: right? Hold on. (laughs) Strap (laughs) in, as we say. Hold on to the bar. Yeah. Yeah. As a buddy of mine used to say, he'd say, do you hear that clicking sound? I'd say, what clicking sound? He said, we're going up the first lift hill of the roller coaster. Uh Hold on to the bar. Away we go. (laughs) All right. Good stuff. Uh, Rick Howard is the CyberWire and N2K's chief security officer and also our chief analyst. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, and uh, so much boy, fun this... doing this, Dave. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot so of much fun, fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, it is because you listen that we're able to do this. So, thanks very much. We would love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. This show is edited by Elliot Pelsman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie.
0: I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Rick Howard. Thanks for listening.